Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast. This is Tony Jones, the Reverend Hunter, and I am joined, as always, by engineer, remote guru, Brandon. Remote guru. Remote remote guru. Um, remote. What are we going to call you? You, you you've, you've been uh, a problem solver. You've been a jerry-rigger. Yeah, is it jerry rig or jury rig? I think it's jury rig. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't know the exact slurm, slang term for it, but I've been that. Uh, it's been Dude. it's been a long stressful week with everybody doing what we're doing right now, doing it uh, via the internet. Yeah, so COVID cast uh, number one. Welcome everyone to our first ever fifth Monday edition. Just to remind you, the Reverend Hunter podcast drops new episodes the first and third Mondays of every month. And then when a fifth Monday rolls around, which happens four or five times a year, it's going to be just the two of us chatting, catching up, uh, looking back at uh, past episodes, looking forward to what's coming up on the Reverend Hunter podcast and trying to get you uh, with a gun in your hand. To hunt, to hunt, Brandon. That sounded really ominous for a second there. I was like, I don't know where this show's taking a turn. I don't know if I can handle this. But yeah, yes, so hunt. that's uh, th- this is our first ever Fifth Monday, which is hard to say. There's a lot of alliteration in there. Um, but we're doing it under the cloud of COVID-19. And I would just love to hear from you. You, you as as we've talked about before, you produce over a dozen podcasts per week and you've had to go remote, which uh, has been a technological challenge, I imagine. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. People think in, in most cases, working from home is a blessing in some ways. It's easier in some ways. It's been more work this week than I've done in the past year. It's easier for me just to pack up equipment, go somewhere, you know, record a show, then come home and edit. Uh, but dealing with all this technological online stuff is not fun, but it is rewarding because at least we get a we get a product out there to people that need it at a time like this, a right. little escape. So, and you're also you're a gig economy worker just like me. So you've also lost your one of your side hustles, which was working the soundboard at a local bar. Yeah, yeah, I'm the, the, the sound engineer uh, at a local place on the weekend. So I spend all of my weekend doing live music. And uh, that's gone. So I've lost about a quarter of my wages, and uh, that doesn't necessarily yeah. qualify for them benefits either. So, <laughs> right, that's how it goes. I, yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. I've lost a bunch of speaking gigs. Have been postponed, rescheduled, uh, teaching gigs, st- stuff like that. But you know what? We're good. My college kids are home, so we're uh, living in a house that I'm now realizing was not built for five adult bodies to bang around in so that's been interesting what's what's the biggest uh biggest change to you that's happened within this past week just just having all of those people in one house yeah yeah one of them is we do we we went from probably running the dishwasher every other day to now we run the dishwasher twice a day (laughs) so that that's a big one that is huge and it's just like to feed five people, especially when you're getting groceries delivered and not going to the store and you put in your grocery order delivery and then you pick your delivery window and it's five days down the road. So there's been a lot of 
we're doing a lot of planning, like meal planning. Sure. I'm particularly that's that kind of falls in my lap. And we've been eating a ton of wild game, man, because I got a freezer stocked in the basement through uh, full full of we're having elk tacos tonight. Uh, we had what did we have last night. We had du- smoked duck last night, I think. And so we're doing a lot of baking and a lot of cooking of wild game. When I say we, that's the royal we because I mean me. <laughs> I, I'm sure your Instagram reflects these wonderful dishes that you're creating, though. That's true, and so nice of you to bring that up because people can follow me on Instagram at the Reverend Hunter. They can follow me on Twitter at Jones Tony. They can find all of our podcast episodes at ReverendHunter.com. Uh, and one thing I thought you and I could catch up on is uh, my latest uh, piece in the Star Tribune is a reflection on my life with my yellow lab. Albert, who we euthanized in our backyard last week. We had a great vet from MN Pets. They do in-home euthanasia, and she came over, and we circled around my beloved Albert, who is a yellow lab, 10 and a half years old. He had lymphoma, and uh, we said goodbye to him, and it was super, super hard. I wrote about it in the Star Tribune. People can find that article at uh, reverendhunter.com. But, uh, man, it was a rough one. I really loved that dog, and he was with me through the hardest decade of my life. There's no question. Um, you, you're a dog guy. Tell, what's What kind of dog have you got? Yeah, I've got a I, – I, I, you can call it a rescue dog. I, I got him from a place – um, uh, a shelter, if you will. Uh, he's about 13, 14 years old. Not sure on the exact age, but I've had him for 12 years now. And, uh, oh, yeah, I, I mean, along with you, so I, I can totally relate. He's been with me through the hardest decade I ever went through. So mm-hmm. there's that bond that not no human could really uh, fill, I guess. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I remember so well my – last dog was at the end of his life when I just like left a marriage that was super hard. And I didn't, I didn't even like when I left the day I left, I didn't even bring anything with me. I didn't have a duffel bag with clothes. I either were like cop cars in the driveway and it was super tense. And I just got in my car and drove away. But the one thing I took with me was my dog. Yep. But, but he was old and sick, and within a couple months, it was clear the end of his life was at hand, and I took him out to a game farm, the Minnesota Horse and Hunt Club, and he and I hunted a couple pheasants. He was so he, – he had a thing called laryngeal paralysis, so he couldn't – he couldn't – the muscles in his, like, voice box, his larynx were, were not working, so it wasn't opening his – his windpipe enough to really get air in. So he kind of felt like he was suffocating all the time, which is obviously horrible, terrible. Yeah. Um, I remember having to lift him into the truck after we hunted. And the very next day I took him to the vet and uh, they put him down and it was brutal, man. And I was without a dog for about a year and a half and then I I was renting a place, and then I got my own place, got my own house, 
so I could finally have a dog again, but I was flat broke. And I heard about a friend. I heard about a family friend who's also a dog breeder in Menominee, Wisconsin, who had a, a yellow lab who was about a year old and had been. I don't know if he'd. Been, I think he'd been returned or never picked up out of the litter or whatever. And uh, I was dating a woman who lived in Dallas, who's now my wife, and she sent me a check for four hundred dollars and told me to go buy that dog. Wow. Yeah, man, that's, that's love, right? That's real love. That's special. That's well. So the the dog shares that bond with both of you, then. And that, exactly. That, I mean, it's it was that's why I, I, the conceit of the article that I wrote for the Star Tribune was like every every guy says his hunting dog is the best dog ever, but mine really was, hmm. which is kind of a ha ha funny. I mean, I'm being a little bit sarcastic or whatever, but. The fact is, like you say, I mean, this dog, yeah, he, he, the bond we had was not just because he was really an extraordinary hunter, but because his life, the 10 year, 10 and a half years of his life um, matched a 10 year span of my life. And yeah, Courtney's too. I mean, then she moved up here uh, the next year and we got married and I, we have pictures of that dog, Albert at our wedding with our kid, with my kids, you know, we're like rolling on the floor with my kids and they're all dressed up for the wedding. Um, he was with us as Courtney and I like built a life together as I went through some real custody challenges, then got full custody of my three kids. And he was just like, Albert was just this, like so many dogs are, he was just this steady force in our lives, this presence, you know. So it was amazing, yeah. And when he, when it was his time to go, it was super tough. But it was also, like my life is so different, you know, right. than when he came into my life. I couldn't even imagine 10 years ago that I would have gone through such a bad time, but then also come out of it and been in such a good place now and you know been in a just a marriage that i absolutely love and fills me with life and that my kids are you know i have great relationships with my kids and i've been able to figure out a career and make a way forward and stuff like that so man it's hard to i'm even kind of struggling for words to sum it up how important it has been his presence in my life but it really has been yeah, it's 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 kind of and it's cliche to say, but when you do have that special relationship and then it's gone, there's there's no words you can put into it. It's hard to like for me. I, I I'm kind of different in the way I deal with death. I don't get as sad as as most people do. I mean, I get sad, but visibly. But I, I kind of find a way to find humor or happiness in it, put a positive mm-hmm. spin on it. Whereas, like you know, I, again, it's cliche, but I look at all the good times we had. So if I had a pet or a family member. I don't spend too much time sulking in their loss. I spend a lot more time celebrating in the positives that come with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess that's the best way that's good. I can put it. Well, and you've got to be, I mean, your dog is on the older end right oh, now. Yeah. So. He, he doesn't act like it, though. I, I think. Is that right? <laughs> he acts like he's like two still. He's still running around, jumping around, chasing things. Well, that's the only thing sign. that's how, different how, about him. How is, big is he? He's about 37 pounds. He's a 
he's a terrier mix of sorts. Okay. Yeah. So he's got a gray face, a white face now, but that's the only difference. <laughs> like that's it's awesome. it's unbelievable. But but yeah, um, I, I do have a random question, but I'm curious. Yeah. Why the name Albert? What what what's what's you, the story behind the name Albert? Because isn't that a funny name for a dog? Yeah. Well, he had yeah he had that name when we got him. Oh, that's great. And he was he was already a year old um, when we got him. Well, when, when I went out, drove out to Menominee, Wisconsin to pick him up. And uh, he w- it was funny because he had, uh, he'd like, I, I would say he, he was not super acclimated to humans. He'd lived his entire life in a kennel. He'd never been inside of a house before. Sure. So like watching him navigate, he couldn't, he didn't know how to go upstairs. <laughs> A year old dog. They completely freaked him out when he came into our house. And like when he went onto our hardwood floors, he he didn't, he, you know, he was, it was like he was on a skating rink because he had never felt that kind of feeling before. All he'd ever been on was like grass and dirt and then uh, concrete inside of his kennel run. Um, so it, it was an interesting deal. But yeah, his name, Albert, was, it came with him. And we, we, let kept uh, kept you know he he got to keep the name that he got at the kennel it's funny how he turns like they turn into that name like he sounds like an albert i don't know if that (laughs) no he was he was you're right and he wasn't very dog-like in that uh he never he never ever played with another dog in 10 years i never saw him play with another dog even when he was young he never sniffed another dog's butt. Like he had no interest in other dogs. All he had interest in was me and to a lesser extent, other human beings. But like when I went, when we would go to hunt, there's this, there's this moment when you're on a, at the edge of a field, like pheasant hunting in South Dakota and you pull up to the field and everybody lets their dogs out and, and everyone kind of huddles up and you make this plan okay, these guys are going to walk this direction through this corn and these other guys are going to drive around to the other side and block. And we want the guys on the wings to be, you know, be 50 yards up. So if birds flare out, you got a shot at them. And all the time, this always takes way longer than you want it to because there's everybody's a, you know, quarterback and nobody's a, you know, a lineman, whatever. (laughs) But the dogs are always like yelping and running around and sniffing each other and mounting each other and doing all the stuff dogs do. Albert would just sit there. Not, I mean, he could not wait to hunt, but he had no interest in the other dogs. He would just wait for me to give him a release command so he could hit the field and start hunting. And that was, I, I always thought that was an interesting aspect of him. And I don't know if it's because he lived that first year of his life in the kennel and didn't i don't know um but yeah anyway i I don't i guess i don't have an answer for why he was like that but it it was odd and so he had a kind of a non-dog-like name and he had kind of a non-dog-like personality see it it becomes it's an endearing thing when it's when it's got a unique personality like that there it's not your typical dog and you don't have to do the typical dog scolding or like get off that other dog leave that one alone. don't sniff there you know that sort of a bit so and i will say one other thing is that i think i mentioned this in the podcast with lantani uh we aired a few weeks ago but 
you know, when you're out hunting upland birds, a lot of times, uh, a lot of the people I hunt with, they use pointers, which are great um, dogs and, and a lot of fun to hunt over. But they, they're not – most of them are not interested in retrieving a dead bird. And, of course, a Labrador retriever has been bred for a 1,000 years – that that's their primary instinct is to retrieve even more than it is to find a bird and flush a bird. So there have been so many times I've been so glad to have Albert. If, if Albert thought there was a bird down, he would not quit hunting for that bird until he found it. I mean, I would almost have to like grab him by the collar and drag him away because he would have been hunting for a dead bird for 20 minutes and everybody else is like time to keep moving. You know, you, sometimes you just lose birds that that's just part of upland bird hunting. And man, that dog, he wanted to find that dead bird and retrieve it to me. I mean, to the point that at sometimes he would steal birds from other, <laughs> other guys, dogs, <laughs> which is not great. No, um, but man, he just, the, the, the engine he had was, it was, Un, uh, unstoppable and so you know just a final thing about him I knew the end was close with him and so I took him out to a game farm in southwestern Minnesota called uh, Caribou Gun Club and I put out a few pheasants my wife came along and took photos of it her photos are in that story in the paper and man he was like it was like uh he was five years younger, you know, he, as soon as I put him out there, he started flushing the pheasants and I shot him and he retrieved him to me. He was so excited and it was great. I'm just really glad. Some people call that a legacy hunt for a dog where you'll take a dog out one more time. One guy, uh, one guy emailed me that he would, he, he did that with his dog and he, he let bird, he let the dog flush the birds and then he didn't even shoot at the birds because he didn't want to miss and have the dog, you know, have him miss the shot of the dog's last flush. He just let the dog flush these birds and let the birds fly away. Uh, so the bird would, the, the, the dog would have one last kind of time to get their nose in the, in the grass and flush a bird. And it's a pretty special deal. I'm glad I got to do it. You know, some people aren't so fortunate if their dogs die more quickly or whatever, but man, I got, I got overwhelming amounts of emails and DMs on Twitter and stuff about this story. People, one guy wrote me, he had a black lab who lived to be 12 and his grief was so debilitating after putting that dog down, he's never been able to get another dog. And many other people writing that they were, you know, crying as they typed their emails to me. Because they're not because of my story, but because they're thinking about their own dogs. So, well, your story, special. your story, your story did strike that in their hearts or in in their brains. So, you know, yeah. don't don't take that credit away from your story. But yeah, it's that is really special. I'm 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 glad people have reached out to you too, because I mean, it makes putting that painful experience of yours, you know, worth it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am glad I could do it, and there's a lot of stories. I mean, like I say, every everybody thinks their hunting dog is the best hunting dog, but uh, Albert really was the best. <laughs> Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Well, hey, speaking of hunting, so I want to 
you know, one of the goals of the Reverend Hunter podcast here is to get you on your first hunt, or at least first hunt in a long time. First hunt ever. So, I've, I've never hunted. First hunt ever. You've shot a gun. I've shot a handgun once at a shooting range, and that's it. That's my gun experience. Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out what would be the best hunt. I mean, you're, you're going to down the road. If, if you like it, you're going to have to take uh, a hunter safety class, which you can do online, and then you do a field day. You, you go somewhere and do a field day and do some live shooting and stuff like that. But the nice thing about Minnesota, and I think most states are like this, is that you can hunt for a couple years as an apprentice hunter as long as you're with an experienced hunter. So basically – you get to be like my hunting intern. Sweet. I've, I used to do a morning show radio intern. I hope it's exactly like that. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's like, there's big game versus birds. There's a small game. I mean, I, I think we could break it down hunting into big game, small game, and birds. So the question is like, would you want to ha- hunt? In Minnesota, it would be deer. I mean, you could also hunt bear probably, but that's a little more intense of a hunt. So like whitetail deer or small game would be rabbits and squirrels or uh, bird hunting would be pheasants or grouse. But before we even get to that, I think the more the first question I want to ask you is this. Do you think you would rather hunt with a shotgun or with a rifle? Um and are you like, do you understand the differences between those two or should I explain a little bit? No, no, I, I, I definitely understand the difference between the two video okay. games. Um, <laughs> but uh, okay. as, as, as far as like using them, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, uh, probably a rifle, to be honest with you, um, over, over a shotgun. Okay, so a rifle, the rifle hunting for the most part is you're sitting still and you're waiting for the game to come to you. So you could use a large caliber rifle and you'd be like deer hunting. And we could start this journey toward having you deer hunt next November. And I could almost guarantee you that you'd shoot a deer because we have so many deer on our land in central Minnesota. And I would take you up there. You'd sit in a deer stand with a gun for a day, two days, three days, until a deer wanders toward you, and then you would shoot it. There is another way to rifle hunt, and that would be with a smaller caliber, like a twenty-two, and we could go out squirrel hunting next, you know, September, October. There's a little more moving around in squirrel hunting, but it's still kind of you're in camo, you go sit against a tree and you like watch up in the canopy for movement and try to find squirrels. Sometimes you move around and try to get to them, but for the most part, you're pretty stationary. Whereas when you're shotgun hunting, at least for upland birds, I didn't even mention waterfowl. We'll have to get to that too. But when you're the trickier part about shotgun shooting is you're trying to shoot an object that's moving a lot faster. Right. And it's Which is, moving away from you generally, right? Up and away? That's right. I mean, ducks, okay, so I totally like had a brain fart there and didn't mention waterfowl because that's another thing you could do. 
where waterfowl, you sit, you know, you're sitting somewhere and you're trying to get birds to fly into your decoys and you're still shooting a moving object, but it might be moving toward you. It's, it's might be like coming across, which is called a passing shot. But yeah, if we're out hunting grouse or pheasants, I mean, a pheasant hunt is, I think, a great beginner hunt. Um, but you're right. A dog's out in front of you. They're going to flush a pheasant, and that bird is going to most likely get up and fly directly away from you, which, believe it or not, is not that hard of a shot. It's, an, it's a bit of an easier shot than a passing shot, like a duck that's flying straight across you. Also, pheasants are pretty big. But... If, if it's rifle hunting, then the question is, do you want to shoot something bigger like a deer or something smaller like a squirrel? Well, it's actually some, it's something I've thought about quite a bit. Uh, my birthday's in the, uh, right, it's, it's in the first two weeks of November. So I'm used okay. to everybody hunting on my birthday. So I always thought it'd be kind of cool to do that. But I think that would be a giant step for me to shoot something like a deer. I think going after a squirrel or a rabbit would be mentally easier for me to not justify, but just to like, you know, just uh, to get uh, to deal with. To deal with like the death, the death of an animal at your hands, that that kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, as 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 most most non-hunters are you know they see a deer and then they see the deer's face and its eyes and you know you you get that whole romanticized (laughs) bambi sort of a bit whereas you know a squirrel or a rabbit is a squirrel or a rabbit they're more of a nuisance (laughs) in my life at least than a duck than a deer is or anything else yeah yeah no you're exactly right i mean it it is a different experience to you know shoot an animal with eyelashes you know what i mean (laughs) right one that just looks at you yeah big brown eyes and yeah it 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 definitely i i remember well the first deer i shot and the experience of that um and it is a different deal when you shoot a bunny or a squirrel it's it's easier to clean them i mean of course there's not as much meat but there's also not as many guts i mean when you put your when you put your hands and you're like almost elbow deep into guts and blood it, when you're field dressing a deer, I, I mean, I don't know for, for other people, but for me, one of the first thoughts was this feels exactly, this feels like what it would feel like to pull the guts out of a human. I mean, it's the same size, you know, you're shooting an animal that weighs, a hundred or 130 or 150 pounds and their heart is about the same size as our heart and their liver and their guts, you know, that kind of thing. So there is a mental, you know, I think you're right to think that like you, you the, the challenge is you, you could, you could, you could gradually step your way up into it. Right. Yeah. Start small, go big. I mean, and, and you, you know, yeah, I, I like to hi, hi, like hike or you know do do trail stuff and anything like that. And I figure, you know, with public land or something like that during the proper season, squirrel or rabbit would just would be just right up my alley, you know. Yeah, and, and the meat of both of those animals tastes awesome, and, um, and the, I would think you'd like to prepare it. Yeah, and that's the thing too. And it's field dressing. Like I'm, I'm not like a wimp 
or anything like that, quote unquote, when it comes to, to blood and stuff. But I think that might be too intense to be all up in a deer. Whereas like, again, rabbit squirrel in front of my face, small size, you know, I can yeah. understand what I'm looking at. <laughs> Did, what do you think your girlfriend thinks about eating wild game? All for it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 We, we'll she does, we'll eat anything. She's not have a problem with you hunting? Oh, not at all. No, we'll, we'll, we'll eat anything. We're, we're pretty open people to when it comes to, yeah, food especially. But okay, if, cool. I, I, one of my first roommate ever was a huge hunter. Um, you know, you'd go into his basement and you'd see animals from all over the world, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've eaten some wild game before. I've always enjoyed it. Uh, on the flip side, I love venison. I think it's one of my favorite meats of all time. So there would be the, the plus to deer. But again, you know, work your way up. Well, yeah. So I think then the next thing to do is to get a rifle in your hands and to go, um, you know, we'll, maybe you could come up to our cabin sometime once the uh, travel restrictions are off and shoot a 22 and just get used to the feeling of shooting a 22 which is a very small caliber rifle no kick not really loud not at all intimidating or whatever and then once you're comfortable with that we could go out for a squirrel hunt in when that season opens in september and who knows maybe by you know by november you'll be like all right let's try for a let's try for a deer this year i'd i'd, but, I'd be cool with that Okay. Yeah, I cool, think that man. sounds like a great well, plan. We're gonna we're gonna plan on this. We'll we'll keep listeners abreast of our progress of getting a rifle in your hand and shooting a twenty two. I mean, there. Quite honestly, I've also squirrel hunted with a shotgun, which it's easier to hit them. You take like a small caliber shotgun, like a four ten or a twenty gauge shotgun, then you don't risk doing really any damage to the meat or so much damage to the meat. Most people, though, shoot um, small caliber rifles like a twenty-two. So we can actually play around with both. But cool, we'll keep we'll keep listeners um, up to date on your progress. Um, I thought finally we could look back uh, over the last month and then talk it about what we've got coming up on the Reverend Hunter podcast. I will say this about, we, you know, in late February, the very first episode we released was like this one. It was just you and me. And dude, I got so much positive feedback about that. People were like, you and Brandon should just talk. That's a great podcast. People loved it. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate hearing that. Uh, you wrote me into this. But no, <laughs> I did. Well, I couldn't believe that you're all these other podcasts. I'll even listen to these other podcasts where, where you're the producer, and they'll say your name like in the intro, but then they you never talk. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why everyone's trying to muffle you. I, I they they must be intimidated by you. Yeah, you I, that's it. <laughs> that's totally it, and that's it, that's what makes it awkward is they know who the real star is of the show being quiet off in the corner. Well, you've been on the air before though. You were yep. weren't you like a DJ at a radio station? Yes, I was. I was a I was a DJ at a rock station in town um, for a little while. I did mostly the overnight shift thing. Um, and what kind of rock? What kind of rock was that? It was hard rock. It was it was the hard rock station in town. I interned for their morning show for about a year before I got the on air bit. 
Um, so is that your is that your type of music? That hard rock? Uh, you know, it is uh, just rock music in general. I don't know if it has to be hard rock, um, but okay. just rock music in general is my favorite. You know, where people are playing their instruments and actually so like, singing. what's your what what would be on that overnight shift? What would be your favorite stuff to, kind of stuff to play in that? In, in that time, time frame when you were on the air. Sure. Um, yeah, geez, that was going on like six, seven years ago, it feels like. Uh, I think Deftones were obviously one of my favorites on there. Um, it was just a childhood favorite band. Um, anything along that style, I guess. Um, I don't know. It's hard for me to even dig back and think of okay. all the people. That's but yeah, good. Like, That's good. Yeah, yeah. You know. Did you do a lot of talking? Did you have crazy people call in in the middle of the night when well, you were doing the overnight shift? I don't want to give away any secrets, but there's not a lot of live radio these days. Um, uh. So, <laughs> so uh, no, um, I, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I was glad that I worked at a, a that station because um, I could say whatever the heck I wanted to pretty much, uh-huh. especially overnight. Yeah. So I did have fun. I like joking around with people. I still man- managed, even though it's not quote unquote live, um, I managed to make it seem live by responding with people. Uh, but I just honestly, I got sick of hearing my voice. Um, when it's not live, oh. you're pre-recording things, so you're sitting in a studio hearing yourself over and over again. So would you wait? Would you record a whole show but compress it so you wouldn't actually listen to the songs? You would like record your yep intro talk. outro yep. No kidding. Yeah, so, you know, it would be, and I don't want to give away any secrets. I don't think it's a secret or anything like that. I just don't think people hear about it. But so a five and a half hour overnight shift is going to take you under two hours to record. So they pay you for two hours, not for a five hour overnight shift. So there, there's a, a reason and why. And a computer just cues up the music. Yep, you set it up. So you go in there as a DJ and you set it up. You, you, the program director will give you a list of songs that you're playing every once in a while you can take one or two out because timing doesn't work out but really you don't even get to pick the music um Mm -hmm. and then yeah you just you just put like hey i want to talk here hey i want to talk here all right commercial break goes there and you literally just piecemeal it together and then it it automatically triggers itself Wow, <laughs> so, that is so, so depressing. Ho- hopefully, I was just gonna say. Hopefully, I didn't just shatter everybody's uh, <laughs> <laughs> fourth wall there. But uh, oh I mean, gosh. it's it's a lot of. There's a reason why radio DJs complain about their pay, and there's a reason why they're constantly moving around the country trying to get that gig that pays them two bucks more an hour. Um, really, I just yeah. I don't need my voice to be heard that bad. Well, your voice is valued on the Reverend Hunter. Well, it I mean, feels valued. Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm serious. People have also complimented the uh, the intros that you and I do together. So anyway, that's good. I just want to share the love with you. Well, thank I'm you, Tony. It. Thank yeah. you. No, uh, it's it's been a blast doing the show, by the way, just to toss some love back at you. Um, didn't expect to be uh, producing a show of this nature, uh, by all means, and then I didn't uh, expect to be talking or uh you know helping with intros or anything like that and even just help with helping make decisions on the show so you've been awesome with with the, oh, this whole thanks. process and it it feels like a good thing it feels like we got a good no, thing I, going i agree yeah i'm i'm super happy with it looking back over the last month you know it's interesting uh land tawny was our first interview and he was you know people what i heard from people was that they really appreciated how open and honest he was he got a little choked up uh, uh a couple points talking about the death of his father and he was very candid about trying to get over his own you know fear of death as he approaches the same age that his father was when his father died 
Um, so that was pretty awesome. And he's a great guy, high energy guy. And then the week, uh, the episode after that was with Travis Frank, who's a fellow that you and I both work with at Ron share productions. And he was very different, you know, but also very candid about his own journey. And, and I'll tell you, like I heard from one woman who I would say, um, doesn't maybe have the greatest appreciation for evangelical Christians because of kind of the political situation of our day and stuff like that. But when she listened to Travis talk, her response to me was, I really had to admit that, um, you know, his faith was really, really sincere. And even though he views the Bible differently than me or whatever, I had to kind of begrudgingly admit that he's a great guy who has a very authentic and sincere faith. And maybe I shouldn't be so judgmental of people who have a, you know, follow a more conservative version of faith than I do. So I thought that was an interesting uh, comment as well. That is really cool. It's, it's kind of funny because I've worked with Travis now for a little bit and I guess I've always just thought of him as a really nice, sweet, endearing guy. And, that was just it. I I never for once thought like where his religion would play into his life or anything yeah. like that, just because he comes off as just the nicest, most genuine person. So it's, it's, it's interesting when you say, you know, somebody had that, you know, thought about, you know, evangelicals before and then heard them and kind of changed their idea. It's, I guess that in a weird way is kind of the point of having these discussions yeah. is to, to open up all sorts of different religions and people to everybody to, to give you a, a view into their world, if you will. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think it's, um, yeah, that's right. I, I, I'm glad that somebody would listen open-mindedly to a conversation I had with somebody, you know, who holds a different version of Christianity than they hold. And I think that's exactly what we're going for. And I'm hoping that, you know, the outdoors and wilderness and nature is that kind of common denominator for all these conversations. And I've got a bunch uh, of great ones lined up in coming months, but just to look ahead to what you and I have planned, um, looking ahead to next month, the first Monday in April, we're going to drop an episode with Jesse Diggins. She is a Minnesota native and the along with her partner won or re, her partner in, in her relay race, they won the first ever gold medal in cross country skiing for the United States in the Olympics. And a lot of people will remember that very famous race when she lunged her, her ski and boot over the line. And uh, she just came out with a memoir and I've read it prior to our interview and she and I have an interesting conversation. She's overcome a lot. Most um, especially has overcome an eating disorder, which she's quite honest about in her memoir. So we talk about that kind of where you find the strength to uh, overcome something like that. And really, I mean, it was one of the things that's fascinating to me about her is how hard she can push herself. So there's this thing she writes about called the pain cave, which an endurance athlete like, like her has to 
readily go into and be okay with such insane amounts of discomfort. Uh, anyway, so we talk about that. That's Jesse Diggins. That's pretty great. And then uh, uh, we talked to a friend of mine named Nate Pyle, and that'll be on the third Monday of April. He is a pastor in Indiana uh, and a deer hunter and really a thoughtful theological thinker. He's written a couple books and we talk about some of that stuff and we really talk about, he's done a lot of reflection on deer hunting and hunting in general. He's also a pheasant hunter and how it's kind of sacramental, uh, the hunting process. So I really love that conversation. And then after that, I think we'll probably drop our episode with Suge Emery, who is a uh, a YouTube star. He's a winter camper, real famous for his uh, hammock camping. Gets a ton of views on his YouTube channel, and he's just a he's like kind of a stand up comedian guy. He went to Barnum and Bailey Clown College, uh, and he's hilarious and a lot of energy with that conversation. So. You think about that, what's coming up, and I hope listeners will appreciate, you know, we got Jesse Diggins, um, who's this, uh, uh, you know, world-famous athlete. Then we have a pastor who talks very openly about faith and religion. And then we've got Suge Emery, who grew up Catholic and is more, um, finds his faith in nature, uh, really running the gamut, I think, of, of a lot of different stuff. It, and know, I, that's exactly what we're after. It reminds me of a joke. Uh, an Olympian, a pastor, and a clown walk into a bar. I don't yeah, really right. have anything after that. but <laughs> Bars are closed, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Are closed. <laughs> it is an eclectic mix, though. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun with all three of these interviews because they're completely different from one another, from personality to story to everything on down. So it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, uh, I hope people like it, and I'm really glad that, that we've got some listeners. I hope it grows. You can help us grow the Reverend Hunter podcast by sharing it with your friends, by rating and reviewing it on whatever service you use to listen to it, by you know sharing it on social media and stuff like that. We would be super appreciative if you did that. And uh, until, you know... You and I will get to talk, but uh, it'll be a couple months here before we have another fifth Monday. It will be. We'll uh, we'll figure this out. We'll make it work uh, just as long as yeah. everybody's getting by and being safe. We're doing it the right way. Thanks. Yeah, everybody, stay safe, uh, practice social isolation, and stay in touch with me and Brandon through thereverendhunter.com and on all the social medias. Thanks for listening to the Reverend Hunter Podcast. Talk to you soon.